Fabulous Fundraisers. I'm Don Lego. It's time to buckle up for a new episode of Raise Nation Radio, the one and only podcast made to inspire fundraisers like you to continue making impact in our communities, building better tomorrows, and exchanging ideas. So whether you're a trailblazer or seasoned pro, you'll pick up the trends that transform your fundraising. And together, we'll dive into lively conversations and chat with industry-leading fundraisers and thought leaders to explore hot-button issues and innovative ideas. So stay with us for the next 30 minutes while we inspire you to embrace the future of fundraising. All right, well, let's get going. Welcome back, Raise Nation Radio. Um, if you've been with us before, thanks for making us uh, our show so popular. Some of you may know we're up for an award and I will drop how you can vote for us in the show notes today so that you could um, get those votes um, cranking uh, upward and maybe we can have an award to announce soon. So thank you for making us a fan favorite. And if you're new, Welcome. We're so glad that you're joining us. Um, we stream on 10 different podcast channels. So we're everywhere. We're on demand at onecause.com. So follow us and um, we're sure we're on your favorite channel. And then this way you could uh, stay connected. Um, we're going to dive right in. We have a little delicate uh, conversation today, but a very important one. A big shout out to some of my peers here at One Cause that really drove this conversation to the Raise Nation uh, show. Um, um, kind of uncomfortable, but important. We need to start someplace. So start talking about the uncomfortable to maybe get to a better place is, is maybe a, a good direction. I don't know. We'll see how it goes, but I'm very pleased to welcome um, Barb Bollinger with us. She is the development director um, for Path to Freedom out of Florida. And we are going to be talking about human trafficking and, just what's going on in the world and, and how we as people need to help because it's a problem that transcends every social economic status, gender, race, religion. It, it knows no boundaries and it's, it's rough out there. And I think we owe it to ourselves and to the world to, become more informed and, and, and to just dive in and help because help is needed. Um, Barb, welcome to Raise Nation Radio. And thank you so much for joining us and being willing to talk about a really delicate situation. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having us. This is such a horrific crime um, around the world. And we really appreciate the opportunity to be able to talk about it with you. So thanks. I hope I can do the topic justice. Um, I'm going to try. I think I have some silly questions to answer or embarrassing. I should say embarrassing questions to ask <laughs> you. But let's start with our audience getting to know you um, and, and what it must be like um, to lead Path to Freedom. Whatever you'd like to share, how you how you got here, what you do for Path to Freedom. And um, just let us get to know you a little bit better. Sure. So, uh, well, my role as development director is fundraising. It's also uh, getting the word out. So part of what we're doing right now is part of what I do. Um, I actually started with the organization as a volunteer when we first opened our safe home. So we have a safe home that is for child survivors of human trafficking in Florida. Florida is one of the worst states in the country for sex trafficking. Um, and we were started by an amazing woman called Anna Stevenson, who started us back in 2015. Um, and she had learned about this, this issue and really learned about the fact that hey, this is happening in my own backyard. This is something she has four daughters of her own, um, realizing that, you know, this is something that possibly could have happened to her own children. Um, and the story she heard, she heard the uh, girl tell her personal story of what happened to her, a local girl that was pulled into trafficking by an extended family member for two and a half years. She was drugged and forced mm. to have sex on a daily basis. In fact, in one evening um, with over 50 men. Um, and um, so it's quite a horrific story. And she just she couldn't sleep at night. She she just really felt she had to do something about this. Once she knew about it, she needed to do something. So she had started 
path to freedom. She and her husband actually run it. Uh, John Stevenson is her husband. He's our executive director. Um, and I found out about them. They had come to the church that I attend and told us about their organization. Um, and then I got involved as a volunteer. I was very uh, involved for probably about six months, did a lot of different things. Um, happened to open their safe home during COVID. <laughs> Oh, yes. I happened to I worked in corporate America for 28 years. Mm-hmm. I happened to lose my job during COVID. And I saw I, my, oh. my husband, too. We know that story. <laughs> so so many people were in that same boat. It was a scary time. Um, but I knew, you know, I was gifted in a in a way blessed with the freedom to be, actually be able to do more in the space of human trafficking. It had always been an issue on my heart. Personally, yeah. I had, I had known about it and really kept, it had been gnawing at me that I should be doing more about it. So this gave me the freedom to um, actually start volunteering. And during a time when a lot of volunteers, you know, of course, one felt that they need to be home, that they couldn't get out because of COVID. So I was doing all kinds of things. I learned a lot about the organization and how it was starting up. And then as I was letting them know that, hey, by the way, I can't, I, I'm looking for another job. When I do find something, um, I won't be able to do as much as I'm doing now. I want to stay connected. I want to help. Um, and that's when uh, they said, well, what if you work for us? <laughs> so I, I think it was, it was, definitely it was me- meant to be maybe <laughs> meant to be. Yeah. So, um, so I, I really love what I do. I love this organization and, um, and it's, there's a huge need for what it is, the services that yeah. we provide. Yeah. And, you know, so, um, I think I mentioned when we just were doing the intro that I'm learning that there's no boundaries. What doesn't, I mean, human trafficking, sex, this whole space is whether you're young or, or older, whatever gender, race, religion, color, ability, disability, it has zero boundaries. It could affect anyone. Is that an accurate statement? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's really it's it's our most vulnerable in society that that are that are susceptible to it. So it could be people with disabilities, people with mental challenges, people oh. socioeconomic challenges, but particularly we think of children. And um, children are very vulnerable for a lot of different reasons. Um, the most common in the United States when it comes to children, it's children that are in foster care. Um, and so when you think about a child that's in foster care and the trauma that they've already been through, why they're even put into foster care to begin with, um, they're coming from, from issues at home and they're looking for that security and that love. And they're much more susceptible to the lures of what a trafficker can provide um, in terms of attention, in terms of promising them all kinds of things. Um, and But sadly with, with children, because they're so trusting, um, a lot of people think that kidnapping is a very common way that kids are brought into trafficking. And actually, especially in the United States, that's one of the lowest. Um, um, last year was reported by the Polaris Project. They're the organization that runs the human trafficking hotline. Um, only 8% were um, got into it through abduction. Hmm. So the, by far the most common is a trusted relationship. And of the two, the number one is sadly a family member. Um, parents, the number one, the number yeah, one, I mean, any extended family member, but parents are doing it to their own children. Secondly, um, and of course, you know, child's going to do, wants to please obviously their caregivers and, and more likely to do what they're told to do. And then the other one is very close. Second is a love interest or, or boyfriend relationship. Oh God. Um, and so oftentimes, you know, there are the, the traffickers out there know how to start and groom these relationships with these kids. So it always starts out with something that feels like an innocent relationship that builds into something where they can actually get them to manipulators. I mean, yeah. Criminals and manipulators. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Let me ask an embarrassing question because I, I think I know, and maybe our audience can relate can we just get a definition out there? I mean, we hear it a lot, you know, especially with what's going on in Hollywood and the news and it, human trafficking. C- 
can we just start okay. there and 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 get a definition? And I, I'm embarrassed to even ask that, but you know, I'm hearing about. I I did think it, it was associated with kidnapping. I did think that oh, stay close to your your kids because somebody's gonna, you know, wrangle them in, and next thing you know, they're gonna be gone, and that's where the. But it's not that, and I'm learning just in the opening remarks that you have. So let's just define it. Can we can we sure. start there? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to read the official okay. definition of human trafficking. So it is modern day slavery and involves the use of force, fraud or coercion to obtain some type of labor or commercial sex act. So there's obviously labor trafficking as well. In the United States, the majority of human trafficking is sex trafficking. And in the case of children, um, that when we say um, that they're forced into it, if you're under the age of 18, whether or not you say it was voluntary or that you um, chose to do this, it is still illegal. So if these acts are happening, exchange of goods or services, it is illegal, especially if you're under 18, whether you said um, that you were not forced to do it or not. Okay. Definition is even worse than I thought yeah. it was going to be. So this isn't necessarily, so I think some people think of moving people around when you think of trafficking. Um, but this isn't necessarily taking people from one location to another, but it, it can be right in your own backyard, but you're forcing them to do these things um, and um, for money. And people are making a livelihood and a business out of this. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And it's very lucrative. So worldwide, a number that you're, you, often here is it's $150 billion. And um, this was an estimate that was done by the ILO back in 2014, very reputable study that was conducted. Um, so you'll hear it quoted often, you're going to see it on a lot. If you Google it, you'll see it all over the place. Um, and, you know, that was nine years ago. So there's a lot of unofficial estimates that it's yeah. as big as 200 billion plus it is it is the fastest growing crime it's second only to drug trafficking and it's very lucrative because victims rarely come forward um, it's very low risk for the traffickers and the predators um, and because um, they're often not getting prosecuted or caught and also uh, they you can sell a child over and over again multiple times a day they're getting raped constantly um, if, oh. if they're in trafficking and, you know, um, and with a drug or a weapon, you only sell it once. Oftentimes they, you know, the, the ones that are, that are forced into it on a very regular basis, they're often hooked on drugs or, and there's, you know, it's almost a catch 22 because, you know, the trafficker wants them to take the drugs so that they'll actually be more willing to do the acts, um, because they're, little bit out of their mind, but also it becomes a crutch because it keeps them to endure the, this life of hell that they're living and what they're doing. So, um, so that's often involved. So another embarrassing question, it, is that the motivator? It, it's, it's money is, is because I got to tell you, there's no money in the world that can get me to wrap my head around this. And, and the number, the, the, finances, the figures that you put out, that's what we know. People are not necessarily reporting this on their tax return, right? Like, oh, you know, oh, like, right. right. So if you know, if that's the known amount, I can only imagine what the unknown amount really is. So is, is that the motivator or is there something else going on? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's ultimately it's about money. It's, 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 again, it's highly profitable. Um, I mean, if there wasn't a demand out there, I mean, then the traffickers wouldn't be doing it. I mean, yeah. it's there's and that's a whole nother issue of how to address um, the predators, the the sickos yeah. <laughs> that, that um, you know, and this, some of this, you know, th there's there's a lot of different reasons for that, that we could go down. I mean, some of it is. Um, how people are brought up, the culture they're in. Um, they maybe they were abused themselves, sexually abused as children, and they often repeat things as adults. Um, another big, huge problem is pornography. And pornography is something that 
Um, I think people- It's a drug I, itself almost. Yes, ethic, yeah. Whether you have this, you know, we can put the ethics aside of whether it's right or wrong to even engage in it. But oftentimes if people think that they're not hurting someone because they're looking at stuff and you don't know what you're looking at, often, often what you're looking at is these are people that have been coerced into whatever videos or photos they're watching. Um, people that get addicted to pornography tend to, they're wanting to look for the next more exciting things so that they can start looking at adults and moving into looking at children, those kind of things. They might want to act it out. They may go out and can, and um, then start soliciting prostitutes um, and, and going to traffickers and wanting to find, you know, to actually act out what they're seeing. Um, but often what they're seeing is, is, is um, can be children that are being trafficked. Also, especially girls look a lot older than they really are. They often think they might be looking at women, but they're probably young teenagers that have been forced into this. So um, there's a lot that goes with the industry of pornography that, again, and, and the United States is the number one consumer of online pornography. Um, so that, that's one of the biggest um, drivers of the demand. Mm. Now, there's a high, you're located in Florida, Path to Freedom is located in Florida, and we seem to have a larger issue in the state of Florida. Why, why is that? Is it yeah, so we are the quote third worst in the country. Um, okay, I'm sorry. Only, yes, in terms of number of cases every year, number of cases that are reported each year, uh, Florida ranks third. California, and Texas are are above. Are quote have more cases reported. Okay. Um, so one of the so it's a variety of reasons. We we are an international hub. Um, a lot of international folks come here, but. Um, it's also because we are a location for, we're a big vacation state. We're a big state where a lot of training courses and seminars happen to be located. There's a lot of big sporting events that happen in our state. And in a lot of those environments, unfortunately, there's, there's an encouragement to do things you normally wouldn't do at home. And sometimes it's that, that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Traffickers know this. So they're bringing, you know, the enticements to those venues and to the, to our state. Also, um, we have a lot of very wealthy, wealthy people with second homes down here. Um, when you think of the Epstein's of the world and mm -hmm. some of the extremely wealthy that really feel that they're above the law and um, engage in these activities and, and not thinking that there's anything wrong with it. So, uh, so those are multiple reasons why Florida is, is a hotbed for sex trafficking. Sorry. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. So we, we, we have the um, gruesome picture now laid out before us. Um, can we just maybe switch gears a little bit and talk about Path to Freedom? What What's going on? What, what are your programs? What's your role in fighting um, the criminals and these horrific acts and saving some of these precious lives? Can, can, let's talk about your impact and your work there. I would love to please enlighten us because sure. we'd love sure. to know what you're doing, how we can do that elsewhere in the country. And of course, you know what, what you need in help, but let's, let's talk yeah. about what you're doing first. Sure. So, and I just want to talk about the, there's a lot of different organizations that are involved in human trafficking in different ways. So there's some that are just, that are there to just help create awareness. There are others that are trying to create funding. That's kind of a pass through to other organizations that are directly working with survivors. Um, there's also the rescue organizations, kind of like what you see in Sound of Freedom and their organization, which is, I would say, when you get into rescuing and law enforcement, that's one of the toughest things. And then I would say right next to that is what we do, which is um, the repair and restoration of the survivors um, because the trauma that they've been through and the amount of time that it takes to heal from what they they've gone through. Um, so what we are, so official, our official mission statement is we create hope and healing for child survivors of human trafficking by providing safe environments and long-term programs for recovery. So we have a safe home. We call it the Magnolia house and we are licensed to serve girls between the ages of 12 up to 18. 12. Oh God. And, and they, um, and there's, 
and so the um and it you know officially the average age of a child entering the life is 12 to 14 um that's for girls for boys and it does happen to boys too between the ages of 11 to 13 i've heard more in uh, again unofficially in other seminars i've been into that the belief is it's as young as nine and ten years old um and some of that's just the proliferation of technology more and more into kids hands um covid definitely made that worse. Um, that is the number one way that um, children are initially brought into trafficking and contacted. Um, so what we do, um, so there's something called a in the state of Florida. So we are licensed with DCF, um, stands for Department of Children and Family Services, um, which is often also called the foster care system. But what happens is when a child is rescued from human trafficking, they are automatically, if they're underage, under 18, they are put into DCF or the foster care system. Then they are what identified as what they call a CSEC child. It stands for commercially sexually exploited child. And those are the children so if they're identified as a CSEC, those are what is referred to us. And we are a CSEC licensed safe home is what we are. So and what they do. So when they come, obviously, they stay and live at our safe home. We are uh, family first model of care. and We are trauma informed. When we say family first, um, we want it to feel like they're a part of a family and not mm-hmm. just a group home. So it's actually run um, the house mentors or our male and female married couple. Um, and we really want them them to, um, again, this is, doesn't feel like it's a program because this isn't a 30, 60 or 90 day type of thing. It's each girl's situation is different. Every recovery program for them is different. Um, so we want them to feel like they're part of a family and they're part of a home. And they've often never experienced a healthy relationship with a father figure or a man or men in general. Um, and to have an example of, you know, what does a happily married couple look like? Uh, now, we do have rules around, you know, men being alone with the girls and we have a lot of female volunteers and female staff. So there, there's never any uh, time where they're, he's not alone with any of them, yeah. but at least they're feeling um, as a family unit, they're having meals together um, and things like that. And then we have an on-site school. Um, so they don't go to public school for a couple of different reasons. Um, safety is one, but also it's a, it's a location where they can be contacted by their trafficker. In fact, some kids are, are um, recruited at school. Um, where they're supposed to be safe. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, and but the other big reason is a lot of these girls that come to us are well below their grade level um, mm-hmm. and they really need individualized one on one education. So we actually in, we assess them and then we do individualized education for each each girl based on where she's at to help fast track her um, and get her up to where she should be. Um, and we are an accredited um, homeschool. So we actually have had um, since we've been open for a little over three years, we have had one girl that did graduate and has our high school diploma. (laughs) She's she's actually in college now. So we're really happy about that. Um, She has a job, part-time job. Um, We we do help the girls as they move on. We have a phased program. So when they first come to us in particular, we take their cell phones away. They hate that, Um, but they know that's part of the program when they come. But we know that's their access to the outside world. That's how a trafficker can find them again. They can phase into um, being able to have like a dumb phone um, after a certain It almost of, feels um, like they're being punished um, in a way when their peers have phones, right? And, and I'm sure it's so hard right. to have gone through what they've gone through and then to be part of a home that's a home, but not a home. And then have their cell phone, I mean, in the mind of a, 12 year old, it just keeps getting worse. I mean, oh my right. God. And, and that is hard. It, it is. Um, but I mean, in other group homes where they have phones and sadly You're keeping them safe. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are kids that get recruited in other safe homes. <sighs> so because the traffickers contact so safe places are just not safe places. Yeah. So, so we know that happens and that's why it's, it's a, it's a yeah, must for us, for unfortunately. but that's probably the hardest one of the hardest obstacles in the beginning. We do have horses on property. We have rescue horses and the girls love that. Um, So they get to spend time with the horses. They do um, help take care of them. And that 
is very therapeutic for them. Um, if, if they need a brain break, especially while they're during school, they'll, they'll go outside and just hang out in the pasture of the horses sometimes. Um, and also the fact that it gives them some kind of worth work ethic in terms of physical, physically like helping clean the stalls and taking care of the horses, um, that we know is just good, good for them. So, um, and we do have, uh, I was going to say, we also have counseling. So we do counseling on property. We, they've group in individual therapy. And because we are with DCF, they of course have their um, contact with their case manager and their guardian at Latham. Um, and we work with them if they're engaged in some kind of um, legal issue with the trafficker and whatever cases um, that are going on. We work with them. We also have... Um, different medical teams that we work with if they have medical needs. Um, wow. Uh, how many clients do you serve annually? So we, we are licensed to serve up to six at a time um, okay. within the home. So, so far to date, we have served 18 girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course you've been open three years, right? Is that mm-hmm. when the, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, about 20, on the 20. average, a girl's each girl has been with us for about a year is about the average length of stay. Um, And like I said, we've had some that have been with us for a couple, several years. Um, And it really depends because each girl's situation is different. We've had some that have been reunited with family members, um, but oftentimes, you know, their situation, there's a reason they got into the situation that they're in and and we don't want to send them back. Does it work? Um, uh, We have a couple that have been adopted um, and then we've had some that have quote aged aged out um, and turned 18 and um, we still are in contact with them. Um, we want to help make sure that we can help them with whatever they need to get on with life. We are in the process of actually, we know that's a need as they become legal adults. So we are in the process of building a transition home on our property that would be for 18 and 22 year olds. Um, so we did, we finally, it, with the hurricane that had happened down here, um, permits got stalled for quite a long time. So we just finally got all our permits approved and, and are able to- Permits, buildings. Start the build. But, um, and we also, so in the state of Florida, there are, just last year, there was 337 reported CSEC children just in 2022 from DCF. There's only 31 licensed safe homes, safe beds. No say. place for these- young people to so we are part of that 31 we know there's a big need we are actually right now um we've kicked off a fundraising campaign to uh, be able to purchase another property and have a second safe home um and, and that's your about, job is to get all the funds in because none of this sounds inexpensive or you're not <laughs> you're not you're not providing you know kits or care packages, you're, 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 you're building buildings and bringing in medical staff and counseling and education and individual education plans. And this sounds monumental. You're only three years young um, and you're in charge of development. What type of funding, fundraising do you need to do annually to sustain? Um, I know you don't want to call them programs, but to sustain the work that you're doing, what I can't imagine. So um, it's, it's roughly about a million dollars. Okay. Um, Now we do get reimbursement. That's before you start talking about new buildings and campuses and more, you know, right. Yeah. um, Yeah. And um, it met, well, I should say it's probably a little less, it's probably about 800,000, but, <laughs> um, That's staggering numbers though, nonetheless. Yeah, and it's, but when you think about there's some of it is some of that cost is as we're building things out and trying to create this, um, our ongoing, just our operational costs, um, they're about five to 600,000 a year. So, um, just she says, <laughs> and we do get re- a fair amount reimbursed from from D- DCF, which obviously helps. We couldn't operate if we didn't. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but we also know this transition services. We will. This will all be 
donor funded. So that one will be 100% donor funded. It will not be as expensive being um, this is meant for girls that are older that have gone through our program that that we're helping them to find jobs to get out on their own learning how to manage money. And part of that may be that we start charging them, you know, a small amount of rent, if they're staying at our safe home there. Mm -hmm. Um, things like that. So, um, and helping them find schooling, whatever it is that they're needing to be um, self, you know, yeah. Self-sufficient. But what we want is we want long-term recovery. Right. 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 You do not want them going back to the lifestyle they were living before they came to us. You need to give them all the tools that they would get, you know, in order to do that. I mean, you have to really prepare them if they're going to have long-term recovery in so many different ways, education and jobs and clothing and so much. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine you're, you're kind of being a family and, and disciplinary and love and a home and the environment all, all, all together. It's just overwhelming to even think about, um, the infrastructure that you have to build in right. order to achieve recovery. I'm heartwarmed and, and well, very overwhelmed. Um, how- we have some amazing volunteers. I mean, there's a lot of things that have been donated to us as well. So, I mean, we yeah. have, um, in, in well, how fact- can we help? Let's get, let's get yeah. there. What do you need? So I'm hearing the story and I'm like, okay, I have clothes here. Maybe I can ship them down. Would that help? I don't even know. What what could volunteers do? What donations do you need? We obviously know, you know, monetary, I would assume there's a button on your website, you know, to donate, yeah. but what wh- how could people get involved and what do you need? If anyone's listening to this, wh- what do you need? How can we get involved? <laughs> So, um, we do, so on our website, we do have a a section about, um, getting involved and there is, um, a list with changes of our needs. If you wanted to be a direct volunteer, so to be a direct volunteer, which means literally working with the girls coming to the safe home, there is a requirement of 21 hours of online coursework. You have to get fingerprinted background checked and all of that. Um, and we actually have, um, we actually have quite a few of those, which is wonderful, but there's always, we could always use more. And, um, and quite recently because of, um, the movie sound of freedom, we've gotten a lot more people signing up, which is wonderful. Uh, the other thing, a big and easy, really easy thing to do is word of mouth. And because we are new and small, not a lot of people know about us. Mm-hmm. Um, so even just following us on Facebook, looking at us on social media, telling people about who we are. And the other thing is telling, um, letting people know about the issue of human trafficking in general and um, making people aware, particularly parents um, and anyone that has influence over children. So, and where I'm going with this is making sure that um, they're understanding when they're working technology and they start, if someone wants to friend them, do not be friending someone you don't know and know that anytime they have any kind of online relationship with someone that they've never physically met face-to-face, probably the online persona is not who they really are. Um, There's something called sextortion out there that many need to be aware of that can happen to anyone, um, and particularly kids. So this is where they get a hold of some type of um, explicit photo, for example, and can use it as blackmail against children. So I I know a real life situation where this 14-year-old boy was gaming online. Um, He had uh, was gaming with a 14, 12 year old girl, at least he thought she was a 12 year old girl. Um, and she, and they, he'd been quote friends with her for a while. And then they started, she started texting him. She got his number. They started texting each other. And again, he thinks of her as a friend. Um, she sends him a naked picture of herself one day and asks him to send one back. And he does. And then she says, go to your parents get their credit card and you got to send me $2,000 or I'm going to put this out on the internet and people are going to see this. Luckily he did have a good relationship with his parents, um, felt comfortable enough, you know, cause it's awfully embarrassing to tell them what happened. They called the authorities. Uh, actually everything was okay. But the bad part is, you know, now there's this photo out there 
And, and the thing is, once these photos get out there or, or videos or whatever, it's so hard to get rid of them once they're out there. So, um, and of course, who knows who he was really talking to and where that person got that photo that they sent to him. So um, just the awareness for children, it's so hard to get technology away from kids because it's everywhere. It's required for school, but just making them aware that there's always going to be predators out there, they're going to try and seduce them into doing something that doesn't really make any sense. And um, so, so that awareness is, is critical. Um, wow. Um, so you mentioned a couple of things. I, I have so many questions for you. I, I have two children, so I'm, you know, I'm heartbroken right now. I want to, you know, finish up this podcast with you and, you know, call my 20 year old daughter. Um, who, um, thank God hasn't been a victim, but just, I don't know. I just feel like I want to talk to her. Um, you, you mentioned earlier in the podcast that it's easy to get away with this crime. And I assume that it, that it's also hard to get out of being a victim. Can you shed a little light on that? Why is it so hard to get out of being a victim? I applaud this young boy that you're that you're referencing this story that he he thank God he had a good relationship with his parents and that you know he he could make a make a good choice following a bad choice but you can easily see how we would get pulled into that right but mm-hmm. why is it so hard to get out and why are is it so hard to convict the criminals why is that situation even happening. So once, once, um, once someone gets into it, so the traffickers really, really know how to play a mind game on their victims. And, um, the biggest thing is threats. So, um, threats of violence, threats of, of hurting loved ones. Um, that's a big one. And, and then, and exposing them, they're often told that they are a criminal themselves, um, that they are a prostitute, that they could be sent to jail themselves. So there's a lot of coercion, um, that is, is played on these, these victims. And then once they're in it for a while, um, you know, oftentimes their quote normal life. It, and and it, this could be a, a girl living at home with parents that has a boyfriend that the parents don't even know, because this does happen. Parents don't even know that she's being trafficked by her boyfriend, but she may be acting out her, her, uh, she's not doing well in school. She's withdrawing. And um, those can definitely be signs to want to wanna know what's going on. But when it becomes the only way they know how to make money eventually. And some of that's because, you know, they're getting behind in school that they don't have, but the victim's not making the money. The victim's just being uh, uh, in, in it is a a horrific sense of bullying and coercion, right? They're, they're not making anything. It's the trafficker that's making the money or do I have that wrong? No, you're right. But the trafficker is often taking care of them in some way. I see. So, so now I was giving you an example of someone that's literally living at home with their parents. Um, obviously there's others that are, you know, living in, in a brothel or living in, in some living with their boyfriend it keeps getting worse. Um, or if it's the parents themselves that are trafficking the child. So they're, they're, they're caring for them. They have a home. Um, and so, you know, in order to pay for their living expenses, um, that's all they know how to do it often, you know, a lot of these kids can can eventually be prostitutes on their own because again, that's all they know. Um, so it's, and why is it so hard to convict? I mean, it's it's such a horrific. So the, the victims, um, often, so, so some victims actually don't identify themselves as victims. They can be mentally convinced that they chose this. Um, they, um, or they're so afraid to say anything, like I said, um, because of the backlash. Um, in fact, um, there was a a man and it's it's interesting. I'm telling you male examples, but, um, still the majority is, is females this happens to, but, uh, there, there's a man that's, I think, because there's more coming out about men because we want to make more awareness about it. Um, but he was telling his story, an adult man of when he was, he was sex trafficked for years. And this is just an example about why, why they don't come forward. 
he um, was um, hurt by his trafficker. He first got pulled into it from he had uh, a boyfriend of his mom and um, and then his stepfather, I believe. And so he, he was in the in the hospital. Oftentimes they, they endure all kinds of brutal attacks, whether it's just the raping itself or that they're being beaten up for different reasons or um, and they're being beaten up to make sure that they don't say anything. Well, this he was hurt badly. He was brought to the emergency room. And usually the trafficker will stay real close to the person so that they make sure they're watching, making sure they're not saying anything about how it really happened or, or what's going on with them. Um, it just so happened he was able to get separated from the trafficker for a short amount of time. He actually told the nurse what was happening to him and asked for help. She went ahead and what had happened prior to that was the trafficker had told her, you know, you can't believe anything this kid will say. He hurt himself from an accident. He's constantly he's accident prone. He lies. He makes up stories for attention. And so she told him, oh, he's now just telling me, you know, that you're forcing him to have sex with with men. She did not. So he leaves with his trays left, leaves with his trafficker, his trafficker beats him close to death. He goes back into the emergency room. And of course, he's never going to say anything again. He, he said he went back multiple times and it wasn't until a nurse, another nurse recognized what was going on. And, and um, he didn't have to say anything. She recognized it. She reported it. And, the, and this is why it's so important, especially people in emergency room. There's a lot of um, frontline type of, of roles where you can have an eye out for this kind of thing. So like school teachers um, in, in schools, as well as definitely in the medical field um, and nurses and things like that. But the emergency room is one place where um, where you'll see victims coming in and that's where they can get them to safety. In fact, uh, one of the girls that we've had at our safe home um, came through a situation like that. My gosh, it just keeps getting worse. Um, but there's an example where he just knew, you know, he tried to say something and he knew. Yeah, okay, but that I'm sounds like another whole nonprofit, you know, educating emergency room nurses. To, yeah. And there are groups yeah. that do that. Like I said, yeah. definitely. Sounds like we need a lot of help, a lot of training. Yeah. Oh, for especially God. frontline. Yeah. Frontline. Um, and yeah. How to handle a situation like this. Um how do you also mentioned the um, Hollywood and I personally tried to um, watch the Epstein documentary. I couldn't get through it. I just, I, I couldn't get through it. And now there's the sound of freedom. Do they help or hurt? Like what, what's your take on that? I, I personally think they help. I think they okay. help because there's so much going on today in the world that's distracting that the issue, this is such a horrific issue that people aren't hearing about it or even want to pay attention to it. So, um, you know, regardless of opinion of like, is this sensationalizing the issue? Is this something, is this a good portrayal of what really happens? First of all, the sound of freedom, really, the story is real. Like what happened really did happen. It's a true story. Um, but um, in, a, in the United States, it happens a little bit differently, but it's still happening. And we are thankful that people are now paying attention because they saw the movie. So um, and I do have to say it's very well done in, in terms of how they did the movie so that this is not something that you're going to walk away personally traumatized. <laughs> they they. Oh. There's the a Epstein, lot of, yeah, the Epstein story. I couldn't get through it. I just yeah. couldn't. Yeah, because there are scenes. Let's put it this way. You're not going to have to watch the acts happening. You know, there's enough going on that, you know, what's going on, but you don't have to literally see it. Let's put it this way in terms yeah. of the storyline. So they did. I think they were very they did a very good job of letting you know what's going on, but mm -hmm. you don't have to literally sit through and watch it. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Um, but it's still a very hard topic and it's really, um, it, it's tough. Yeah. yeah. So going back to what do you need? Um, if you could top three things, because, um, 
if, if, if our audience is listening and they're as moved as I am, I'm, I'm, I just, I'm at a loss for words. I, I don't know that I could think of anything more horrific. It's just so awful on so many levels. Um, three things let's, would it be monetary and what, what would you, I'm going to say monetary. What are the two others? Yeah, monetary. Oh, um, spreading the word about us. I mean, and, okay. and awareness, awareness um, of the issue, both, both just that it's out there, that path to freedom exists for one thing. Um, and, and making children and parents and people that, that are involved with kids uh, aware and having a, a good eye okay. out for, um, possibly being lured into it. And, um, and if you see something, say something. And, yeah. and that is, um, our recommendation is to call local law, law enforcement, um, the human trafficking hotline, um, is out there, but that has now been promoted so much. It's on, it's in airports, it's all over the place. They are actually overloaded. Um, and so their capacity, they're focused on helping victims calling in that need help. So mm-hmm. if you're a victim, yes, call the human trafficking. Like if you feel that you're being victimized as a, but if you see something and you're a tipster and you want someone to get engaged in investigating it, that's where you would call law enforcement. So, um, and make them aware of it. Um, You can report it to the human trafficking hotline. I can just say it's not their first priority. That's all. So, okay. Um, It's interesting because, you know, I, I asked, I I speak with a lot of nonprofits um, on the show and um, I asked you twice, okay, what do you need? And your, your answers are mostly, to benefit the the larger mission, not necessarily benefit um, your organization. So I commend you for that. That was that was a very different answer and a very special answer. You're, so I think it speaks to um, Path to Freedom that you're really committed to just the larger mission. See something, say something, call, get help. You know, it's not. Um, I had to put it out there. You know, the donations and the monetary. Yeah. I mean, we so, definitely need money. Trust yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how how is fundraising going? What are you doing to to we put the good. money? Yeah, what's we going do on? Have a, our biggest fundraiser every year is we have a we call it the Red Gala. The um, Red Gala, okay. The Red Gala. We when does like, that take place? That's in January this coming year. Um, it's at a we're actually having it in a hangar. We had it at a hangar last year and it was Ooh. so successful. Um, we actually doubled what we raised the the last time we had done it, um, which was a tr- traditional type in a hotel. So this is, it was so successful. We, we chose to want to do it in a similar type of setting as well. Um, and you can find out about that on our website. Um, so you could attend that or be a sponsor. Um, and um, we do have other, um, we are doing other speaking events and, and we do have, uh, other folks that are wanting to do some private events for us in their home, which is wonderful um, to help raise mm-hmm. funds. So, um, and, and we we're also the faith community. Um, we are a faith-based organization. They are um, one of our biggest supporters as well. We have uh, several churches that are just ongoing supporters of us and have just chosen us as one of their ministries to support. So, um, and we're very thankful to them. So, Wow. Well, Barb, I don't know what the answers are. Um, I really, I really don't. But if you've saved one person uh, and and helped them with long term recovery, I applaud you. You know for doing that. And and I know my peers here, specifically Stephanie and Missy and Eileen, who pushed me to um, you know make sure I reached out. I, I'm hoping this podcast does bring some awareness. Thank you so much for what you're doing, you know, every day. And um, I'd love to check back in with you, you know, a couple months or, you know, um, just to, to I, I don't, I don't know where the end is in sight. It's just so horrific and chronic. It's, it's, it's just amazing to me. I didn't know everything that you shared today. I'm glad I know I'm very, ter- tremendously moved and um if there's anything that we can do to help. Hopefully this podcast will help. Yes, yes. Yeah. Just one, just one person is, is, is all worth it. Um, 
So thank you. And thank you for shedding some light yeah. on this. And uh, I know my peers are going to be feeling proud that we, we could do our little part just, you know, in spreading awareness. Um, I probably can talk to you forever and ever, but um, I know our listeners um, want to, you know, help go to path to freedom and help out and um, do their own um, soul searching. So um that is about all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. Um, I do hope that everyone felt comfortable with this topic, even though it was del um, delicate. Um, we do have new episode releases every twelve thirty, uh, every Thursday at twelve thirty p.m. That's Thursdays, twelve thirty p.m. Um, and hopefully, you'll find um, find us on your favorite station. We we stream everywhere, so um, I don't know that there's a, a channel that we've missed. So hopefully, you could uh, tune in again, Barb. Bollinger from Path, Path to Freedom. Um, the development director there was a big job. Thank you so much. You've been so candid and authentic and um, taking this head on. Um, I think there the gods were working back in the pandemic as that was a god awful time for all of us. Mm -hmm. um, there was um, a, a higher mission there at work, bringing you to path to freedom for sure. So um, I'm glad that at least came, came out of it. Thank you so much. Any last words of inspiration for our audience? Or, um, well, I think I talked about spreading the word. I actually, I think I was remiss in that saying our website is. Oh, well, I'll get that all in the show notes. Oh, Don't okay. you worry. We're going to get your, your, we, we do pretty good <laughs> show notes here and our audience knows we're going to have your okay. website. We're going to have how to get in touch with you and we're going to have a whole little article going along with this podcast. So if you're listening, you can do all the reading too. We'll, we'll get, we'll get, if people want to help, we'll get them connected to you. Don't you worry. Okay. But go ahead, well, share it yeah. anyway. Is it pathway? Oh, well, it's pathsofreedom.org. There is a fund a need page, um, which actually is where it talks about our second safe home. Um, if you wanted to help donate towards the second safe home, that's on our fund a need page. But and and in general, um, you know, this really is, especially with children, in our view, this is the the worst crime, you know, against God's yeah, creation. Horrific. And yeah. Um, it's so horrific. Um, and, and I think, you know, Anna, Anna Stevenson in particular, who started Path to Freedom and, and the amount of effort it took to get going um, and the people that believed in us in the very beginning before it was getting started. So just want to do a shout out and thank you to, to them. Yeah. Well, thank you again so much. Let's, let's keep in touch. We'll check in, see how you guys are doing. Um, maybe you can share some success stories without any names or violating any, any privacy, but we want to know the good that's coming out of this and how we can help stop the bad. So um, we'll have you back again, if you don't mind joining us. Uh, I would love to. Thank you. Until next time. Raise Nation Radio. I'm Dawn Lego. This is Raise Nation Radio. You stay fearless out there.